that we, uh, we pray every week that for, for uh, our worship team in here, that they would just lead us in worship. And that is exactly what they do. And so I know they don't want us to clap for them or anything, but we are worshiping the Lord, and there is nothing to compare to that. Nothing. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 today, um, racing to try to finish up this book. I think we're going to end up spending 40, 40 weeks or 41 weeks in here. And as we, uh, as we come into uh, the last kind of home stretch here, we're going to be in verses 15 through 19. Today. And then Treble finished it up next week. Treble, by the way, is in uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, celebrating our dear friend of ours, 50th birthday. Uh, his name is Matt Mitchell. You've probably heard us talk about him. He, uh, Treb flew down there to surprise. He had a surprise uh, birthday party that my wife threw him. So he is there celebrating Matt's 50 years of life. He is a, Matt is now an old, old man. So uh, the bad part is that he's our, we went to college with him. So we are, uh, <laughs> we're basically almost, we're, we're catching up with him real quickly. So but that is where he is. And, uh, you know, this week, though, has been, it's been a hard week. As I was talking to you guys coming in, and just there's just kind of a heaviness, and you know the the sleet coming. And normally snow days are fun. Um, I'm kind of tired of them. I'll be real honest. I'm sort of tired of winter. I want spring. I want summer. I want uh, life and green things to come back. Um, and I, uh, you know, our, our kids were they weren't in school. They have those three days: Monday or Wednesday, Thursday, and and Friday. And Jenny and I are trying to juggle life and working, and 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 our everything just gets off off. You know, we don't have a rhythm, and our, our, the rhythm that we've set up isn't working because it's not, it just all seems weird. And I'm just, I'm tired of weird. I'm tired of everything feeling. I'm tired of, of all this change, uh, this uncertainty, this upheaval. I'm just, we've been two years of this, and I'm just kind of done with it. And, you know, then, of course, I'm a child of the 80s, and I grew up in every enemy in the movie was the Russian, right? The military. And then, you know, to watch them actually invade a country, um, it's so devastating to my heart to see them come in to a place where they're having to, 16 to 60-year-olds aren't allowed to leave the country. I mean, our oldest is 16. And there are boys over there having to get a rifle to protect their homeland. It's wrong. It's deeply wrong, and I, don't, I, don't, I do not care what side of the thing you're on. I don't care. It's wrong. It's wrong to invade another country and shoot people there. It's awful. We live in a broken world that is broken by sin, and it is utterly disrupted by the brokenness that sin causes. And I want everything to be perfect. And this song that we're singing... Uh, when it says everything is made new, you know when Jesus says that is at the end of the Bible. Everything is not new yet. It isn't. If you think this is the new, it's not. The new is coming. Jesus is coming to make everything new, but right now the world is still broken. And we have to live in a broken world. If you don't think it's broken, wake up. It's broken. And I'm, if you're feeling just a heaviness, it's not just you. There's just a weight, a weight on my heart this week and a weight on the heart. I think of the collective world. You hear people say, well, I kind of thought we were done with countries invading each other and things like that. I'm like, hey, guess what? Nope. Because 
The devil's still running things. Sin is still working. People are still falling. Evil is still evil. And the book of Hebrews was also written to a people not in a perfect world. Their world was even more chaotic than ours. It was devastatingly broken. Wars, all of these things, they were happening then, they're happening today. And so these words that we're going to study today are so relevant for us because they're the word of God. And it means as much to these people as they're reading it as it does to us today. And so as we come into these things, and we're, we, if you saw a theme during worship, it's talking about we're praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be to Yahweh that we can praise his name even in the midst of a broken world. And so in that kind of context of feeling the weight of a broken world, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to encourage our hearts and restore our souls today. Heavenly Father, we come to you who is sovereign over all things. And, and yet we feel the weight of the brokenness of this world that we're in. And, and I, I grow weary of it, Lord, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And the, I read the Psalms as we read today, and, and they existed in a broken world. Not all of the Psalms are happy. Many of them are, are laments to you. And we thank you for the gift of lamentation, of being able to come to you and to pour our sorrows out before you. Every day, every week, every month, every year is not leaping into the air with rejoicing. It is not always Christmas morning. There is sorrow, Lord, and there is brokenness. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now who are dying and yet who are preaching the gospel to the lost. The body of Christ is active there just like you are active all over this broken world where the church is suffering. And so we come to you this morning, Lord, just in need of restoration, in need of hope, in need of joy, in need of truth, in need of light from the word of God. It is a lamp to our feet, and we need to see where we are standing and know what steps to take. So we ask you to light our way today. As we do every week, I want you to spend a moment and just ask the Lord to show you what he wants to show you that his word would illumine your path and show you where he wants you to walk today. I want you to take a moment and pray for those around you in this room, the people you came with or the people you just met, that you would lift them up to the Lord and ask for the Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit to teach them to restore their souls today. So Lord, we come to your word in great need, and we ask for your help and your guidance. We lift all these things up to you in your risen and exalted name, and we just ask that you come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in, uh, in the context of this, Treb looked last week at, uh, he took another deep dive. There's lots of those in Hebrews. We should not be going as deep of a dive today, but we'll be in verse 15. But the context of this, of course, if you remember verse 14 from, from last week, he says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This is this context, right? It looks back to Hebrews chapter 11 where all these people were, had in faith believed, but their hope was not in the right now. It was in the, the coming kingdom. 
in the coming to a, a, a better country. And that is what we are looking for, for the city that is yet to come. The city that we see in the book of Revelation, Jerusalem coming down, the, the uh, separation between God and man utterly abolished, a new heaven and a new earth. Here we do not have an enduring city. If your hope is in the things of this world, good luck. It's broken here. And so we have this yearning hope looking forward to what is to come. And so then in verse 15 it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So as we walk through this, this idea of in the, in the context of the fact that things aren't perfect, the fact that we have a redeemer who had to, we had to be redeemed in the first place and we still need a high priest and we will always need a high priest. The reality that we don't have an enduring city here, that our hope is not here, but our hope is looking forward through Jesus, therefore, or through him then, depending on your version of that word for, for through it, it's like, it means the means of, uh, the reason for, or uh, the, uh, the conduit by which something happens. So that the means of the things that we're supposed to be doing is who? It's Jesus. It's not me, or it's not you, it's Christ. He is the means by which we are supposed to do everything. And probably all of Hebrews can be encapsulated in these two verses. That it is through Jesus, not through a priesthood, not through a Levitical law, not through a religious system, but through a person. Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, risen from the dead. It is through Jesus that we can continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. If you flip a few books over to 1 Peter, you don't have to, but I'm in 1 Peter chapter 2. This idea of how is it that we're offering sacrifices of praise. So he says in uh, uh, 1 Peter 2, 4, As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A what? A priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, same word, Jesus Christ. The Levitical priesthood is now defunct. It no longer functions. If there are priests who are doing things, they are doing nothing now. Whatever sacrifices they're offering, God is not receiving that anymore. There is one sacrifice for sin, and it was Jesus Christ once for all. So when it says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, every believer has a priesthood now. We don't have to go through a priest to offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. So this idea, remember in the, in the law, they had all these sacrifices that they had to do. We've been over this and over this through this book. I won't beleaguer it, but <clears throat> there was a, atonement sacrifices that Trevor looked at last week, and there's other uh, sacrifices that could be done. And then there was this thanksgiving offering. And it was just 
like a free will offering that if you wanted to just thank the Lord, you would take a sacrifice, grain or, or an animal, and you would sacrifice it to the Lord just as a symbol of your gratitude to him. That is what the author is pointing to here. Looking back at this offering of thanks, this offering of praise given to the Lord, not because you're going to get smashed if you don't, not because, no, but just because you see what God has done for you and you want to do something to show him your gratitude. That's it. So it says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God. So the, the, uh, the how, how are we supposed to do this? Well, we do it all through Jesus, through Christ. What, uh, when are we supposed to do it? Continually. Let us continually offer. What are we supposed to do? Offer a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? A sacrifice of praise. Not a goat, not a bull, not a dove, not some grain. Praise. What are we praising? We're praising the Lord. Why? Look at what he has done for us. He's given us Jesus. He's given us redemption. He's given us new life. He's redeemed us. Do you ever stop and think where you would be without Christ? I would either be dead or in jail or maybe both. It would not be good. It's supposed to be funny. Like you can't be in both. So the idea that Christ has made my life different. I was on a trajectory and he changed that trajectory for good, like for eternity, but also here in this broken world. And then it goes to be, to get more specific. What does this sacrifice of praise look like? The fruit of lips that confess his name. <laughs> you know that the things that come out of your mouth are like fruit. So how do you know that an apple tree is an apple tree? You've heard me say this a hundred times. How do you know a grapevine is a grapevine? Well, it makes grapes. Like how do you know a pear tree is a pear tree? Because pears come out, right? Like I can point at something and say all day long, that is an apple tree. And then if a pomegranate comes out, well, it's not an apple, it's a pomegranate. So I may think it's an apple tree, but it's really a pomegranate tree. I can say all these things. Reality shows what it is. And we are known by our fruit. So the question that gets begged and that we're going to delve into in a little bit is what should the fruit of lips that confess the name of Jesus be? What should the fruit of lips that confess his name be? Be. Okay, so there's these uh, through Jesus, and that's the, uh, the how we're supposed to do these things, and then the sacrifice of praise, and then it says, do not forget or do not neglect to do what? To do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So this idea of do not forget or not neglect is this idea of willful inaction. It's not just you forgot, like I'm supposed to go to the store and get like milk and cheese and eggs. And I just get milk and cheese and forget the eggs and get back home. And Jenny goes, where are the eggs? I'm like, oh, I forgot. Not that, not that kind of forget. Not forget because you didn't write it down. Or forget because you didn't set an alert on your calendar. And I forget stuff. I just do. I'm going to confess, I forgot an elder meeting this week on Tuesday night. So it happens. And my fellow elders in here are, are, are well aware of that. How does that happen? Because I've got too many spinning plates and I let one of them fall. Um, was that neglectful? Partially so. Yep. But this is not what that's talking about. This is talking about the willful inaction of 
not doing good. It's to know that there is good to be done, to know that there is sharing to be done, and then to choose not to do it. Do not neglect. Do not forget to what? To do good. The word for that, that we have do good in English, but the, in, in the original language, that, that word is a combination of words meaning good, and then, but also this idea of um, uh, to fashion something or to make something or to be the author of something, right? To create something. So not just to have good and don't forget, but to actually create good, to make the good things that are supposed to be done. Do not forget to do that. It has this, uh, this uh, understanding of intentionality, of planning. It's not just willy-nilly. It is something that is done on purpose. And then to share with others. That word for share is the same word as koinonia, the word, another word that's often translated fellowship, like in Acts chapter 2 when they're talking about it, they were all gathered together and they were in fellowship and they were sharing each other's things. It's this idea of fellowship involves sharing. Every time there's fellowship, there is a shared something. So like the Lord of the Rings, it's the fellowship of the ring. Why? Because they bear this burden. All of them, they share the burden to take the ring to Mordor and destroy it, right? That's the fellowship. They're not... The fellowship of the ring was not, oh, let's get together and have cookies and juice and talk about our week and pray for each other. That's not what it's about. They had a mission. It was the fellowship of the ring, and it was not done until a little hobbit drops it in the, in the, the, the lava, right? I just ruined the story for you. Sorry. Read the books. So happens. The good guys win in the end. So just watch the movies. Read the books first. Watch the movies. They're incredible, beautiful, made me cry every time. Anyway, they had a mission, right? It was the fellowship of the ring. We have a fellowship with other believers, which isn't just that we gather together and hang out. It says do good and to share with who? Others. Who are the others? Others. You're others. You're others. Those people out there, they are others. There's an Afghan family that we have othered this week to the max. Do you know that in this church, 57 people have signed up to help that family. 57. Like, look around. There's not that many of us. So the percentage of people that are helping those people is through the roof. You guys have bought, and I don't know how you got everything. I'm not going to ask, but you probably hopefully bought and, and like, they didn't steal it or anything, and gotten the things that this family needed. Overwhelmingly jumped on it. With such grace and love and kindness, you have shared and you have done good this week. And you will continue to do that. So I want to praise this body of believers. You are doing good. And not just there, right? That's not the only place you're doing good. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I didn't sign up for that. Now I feel bad. Don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean as a body, right, we're many members that make up one body. And we are doing good to this family. It is a family of 10, a mom and a dad and eight children, ranging from 20 to a baby. And they have suffered, I don't even know what. Can you imagine their past six months? They're not here because everything's going well, right? They're here because everything's fallen apart. And they're here because they're in desperate need. They fit all the categories for someone in need. And we, as a body, are doing good and sharing with them. It's incredible. And look at this. For with such sacrifices, God is what? Pleased. He is pleased. Do you know that we can please God? How cool is that? That we can do something that pleases him. Have you ever sensed his pleasure? Have you 
sense the overwhelming pleasure of the Lord when you're serving, when you're doing something, when you're, I don't know if you've ever known how God has gifted you. Maybe you're a gifted administrator when, when the Holy Spirit is working through someone and the gifts that they've given them to fulfill the role in the body. You sense God's pleasure. There's nothing like it in the world to sense his pleasure. I am good and I am sharing. Is my mic out? No? Sounded weird. Okay. So it's the idea that you have to do this in order to be not pleased with you. That's not what it says. Because remember, this is in the tail end of Hebrews. So we've got all this concept of the identity of the believer, who we are in Christ. We have a high priest. He is helping us. He's proceeding for us. We have access to the throne of grace. All of these things are true. And yet we can still do something that pleases him. That is a really good motivation. Not to earn God's love for you. Not to earn his care for you. Not to earn his grace. You cannot earn grace. It is unmerited favor. You can never earn it. It is freely given to those who believe. However, we can also walk in a manner that pleases him. And that is a great motivation. Any parent in here as a kid who's like, I want to make my parent pleased by what I do. Like, that's a good thing. Not in the context, obviously, of having to earn my love and respect. That's given. But in the context of a loving relationship, a child who works to please their parent is good. And so we can work to please our Heavenly Father. That's such a great thing. It's a wonderful motivator. All right, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Who are these leaders? So the only time they're other mentioned is in, in this chapter is back in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So it's these leaders, uh, probably elders in the church, doesn't necessarily say elders, but it could be uh, leaders, people who've taught you the word of God, people who God has used as leaders in the body to grow you, to teach you, to train you, to disciple you. So it says, obey these leaders and do what? Submit to their authority. Okay. Why? Well, because they keep watch over you. Other versions say they, they keep watch over your souls. There's this idea that Jesus is the shepherd of the church and that uh, leaders in the church are like under shepherds who, who help care for the sheep of the, of the church. But it says, as men who must give account, everybody who's in leadership, everybody who's a, an elder or has been a deacon or we don't really have deacons yet, but I don't know if we ever will, but people who serve in the church, people who are serving you, people who are teaching you, those people will give an account. James says the same thing. Like, be careful if you're teaching because you're going to be held to a higher standard. The, the elders of this church will give an account to God for how we have shepherded these, you, you people. And so it says obey them so that their work will be a joy. Like, don't make life hard on them. Not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it doesn't make any sense to make life really hard on your pastor, right? or on your elder, or on your life group leader. It makes no sense to make their life miserable on purpose. How does that help anybody? Well, I mean, it doesn't. So don't do that. And I don't want to beleaguer the point too much here, but I do want to discuss something, which is uh, two things. First, you people are a joy to shepherd. I mean it. You guys make our job a joy. Y'all's hearts are humble and contrite. And when there's a need, you guys jump on that thing like, like a fifth grader on the box of donuts up there. It is just incredible. It is incredible. You guys are a joy. I just want to thank you for making this job such a great joy. It's a delight to wake up and serve you every day. It's so wonderful. 
not every leader is a good one. Can I just say that? When it says obey your leaders, that's hooked to verse 7. Remember your leaders who once spoke the word of God to you. Don't just obey them because they tell you to do something. Obey them because they're speaking God's word. Their authority comes from the Bible, not from what, not from them. I have no inherent authority over you. Like, what? If I'm like, go shine my shoes. And you're like, okay, what? That's dumb. No. It's people who are teaching you the word of God. If they say love your neighbor because the word of God says love your neighbor, then love your neighbor. Not because I say it, but because God's word says it. It's people who are teaching you the word. And then it says consider the outcome of their way of life in verse 7 and imitate their faith. If someone is teaching the word of God and is not living the word of God, don't listen to them. I don't, if this verse has been used to abuse so many people, and there is even just recent history, right? There is all this church abuse that's happened of, of toxic leadership and toxic, all these things. And you go all the way back, man, there is some bad leadership in the church. Bad people who have been leaders who have hurt people and abused people, haven't shepherded them, who have abused and manipulated. Like most of the, uh, the apostles talk about them. They're called false teachers. And they are wicked and they will be judged by the Lord. And Lord, keep me from ever being but this idea that if someone comes to you and says, you have to obey me because I'm a leader and submit to me. We talked about those guys two weeks ago. They're cult leaders. Get away. Don't go there. It's dangerous. So you, you, have every, you can come up to me, and if I'm not living in accordance with the Bible, you have to call me out. If you're like, hey, I see you doing such and such. That's not what the Word of God says. Call me out. If you see Treb or one of our other elders doing something they shouldn't do, you point your finger at him. You'd be like, hey. The Bible says that you should be doing this. And I'm not doing it. I've got log in your eye, speck, and all that stuff, right? I've got all these things that we deal with each other. But the, the, the point of the matter is that I am not Jesus. And no leader ever is except for Jesus. You can't point to Jesus and say anything that he's doing wrong, ever. He doesn't do anything wrong. But you can point to every other single human. But the point of that is not to, not to point people's failures at and all that. I mean, go for it. I guess you weren't dumping on me this week. But the point is this. God has set up an authority structure in the church, not because he wants to give leaders authority over people, but because we need some kind of structure. And if the shepherds in a flock uh, don't have any way to uh, call the sheep around, if there's not a pen that gives boundaries, which we have in doctrine and orthodoxy, if I'm not able to bring you to the word of God and say, hey, um, you're married and you're uh, going out on dates with a woman who's not your wife. Uh, Hebrews here, we just read, said marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed should be, could be, should be kept pure. You're not doing that. If we can't do that to each other, we're, we're not going to do very well. So this whole idea of obeying your leaders, submitting to their authority, that has limits. Can I just say that, please? That does not mean that you should suffer abuse. And that does not mean that you should uh, come under a leader who is not walking according to the word of God. If there is a leader who is not walking in the light and you're another believer, call him out with gentleness, all these ways that we uh, correct each other in the Bible. So, all that to say. That's all I'm going to say. That's more I want to say on it. Anyway, you guys make our job a joy. Finally, pray for us. They say we're sure, they, because they say we, we are sure, I don't know who it is because nobody gives a name, so it's just confusing, it's just people, whoever's writing this letter, we are sure that we have a clear conscience 
and desire to live honorably in every way. So whoever they're writing to, they'd probably, someone had probably spoken against them. Most that happened with the, the writers of the New Testament, particularly Paul, Peter, uh, people had spoken negatively against them. So they say, pray for us. We have a clean conscience before the Lord, but we desire to live honorably in every way. Isn't that great? You're talking about leaders? Like you want your leaders to have a clear conscience and to desire to live honorably in every way. And they say, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So they had somehow been separated. The author and the readers were known to each other, weren't strangers. So they were, whoever was writing this letter, he knew who he was writing them to. And they knew him, and he wanted to see them again. We see that, of course, in many of Paul's letters. He traveled around and visited with these churches. He couldn't be with them because he was in jail or something else, but he longed to see them again. All right. So what do we do with all this? I want to go back to the very first verse here, and I want to just hinge something on the reality that Jesus is everything. He's everything. Like in the, in the book of Hebrews, Christ is supreme. He is the absolute authority, he is sufficient. He is better than the law. He is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than everything. Jesus is everything. So when it says through Jesus then or through Jesus therefore, the Christian life is not measured by your effort. You understand me? The Christian life is measured by Christ's work in you. That is the Christian life. It is not that you try harder. It is not that you give more. It is not that you live more holy. It is that you walk in surrender dependence upon Jesus. You cannot save your own soul. Jesus already did that. You cannot pay the penalty for your sins. Christ already did that. You cannot raise yourself spiritually from the dead. Christ can only do that. You cannot resurrect yourself at the end of days. Only Christ can do that. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself righteous. You cannot make yourself pure. The list is long forever of the things I can't do. And the list of things that Jesus can do for me is all of them. Christ is the one who is our mediator. He is the one who is our high priest. It was his sacrifice that was once for all. So when it says through Jesus, that means an exclusion of every other thing. If you're trying to walk in holiness by your own power, you can't. There's a book, uh, which I recommend to anybody, named the, uh, the author is named Ian W. Thomas, and it's a book called The Mystery of Godliness. He's a British, British guy, great book, Mystery of Godliness, and the, the um, uh, what's the other book? Um, the, I can't remember. There's a book that has, it's got Jesus' name in it somewhere. I'll, I'll remember it at some point. Anyway, this book is called The Mystery of Godliness by Ian W. Thomas. I recommend it highly. And he says this, the facts of the case are transparently clear. We were created to please God. Do you understand that? You were created to please God. Remember in the beginning? It was good. And then he makes people, and it was very good. You were created to please God. Now, when I say that, how do you respond? Are you like, yeah, I was created to please God? Or are you like, oh, man, I never please God. I'm a loser. Oh, gosh. How you respond is very telling for where your heart is. Okay, if, if you're like, if I read that you were created to please God, it should fill you with joy. That means that you have a purpose that the world cannot destroy and that God made. And it says this, which is no mystery to those of us who've been in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So that without faith, whatever you do, no matter what it may be, is sin. Let me read that again. 
it is impossible to please him. So that without faith, whatever you do, no matter what it may be, it's sin. So if I'm up here preaching and I'm not preaching by faith, I'm sinning. If I'm really eating communion and I'm not doing it by faith, I'm sinning. If I'm praying and serving my neighbor and trying to do all these things, I'm not doing it by faith, it's sin. The only alternative to faith is sin. This is so clear, right? That is why Satan always presents you with a reasonable alternative to faith. For he knows that if only he can get you to act in other than dependence upon God, you are defying your creator. No matter how lofty your motives or otherwise commendable your actions. See, it is not the actions that God is after. You see that? That's why it says, through Jesus, therefore. It is not through Carl or through Treb or through Brandon. It is through Jesus. Only through Jesus can you walk in holiness. Only through Jesus can you walk in purity. Only through Jesus can you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Only through Jesus can you submit to your husband. Only through Jesus can you honor your mother and father. Only through Jesus can you not covet your neighbor's stuff. Only through Jesus. The list goes on and on and on and on. It's only through Jesus. Everything else is sin. Is that clear? And it makes it really easy. So if I'm not walking in dependence upon Jesus, that's sin. All right. So people always ask you a question like, well, is it a sin or not? I don't know. You walk in independence on Jesus? Well, I don't know. Well, maybe figure that out. Figure that part out, and I'll have an answer to your question. Well, I don't know. Is it a sin or is it not a sin? We ask all these questions, right? Well, I don't know, man. Is this, is this sinning? Is it, how is this? And we get all wrapped up in the weeds. Are you walking in dependence upon Christ or not? Because only a believer can do that, right? An unbeliever cannot walk in dependence upon Christ because he's an enemy of the cross. An unbeliever has no life. They're dead in their transgressions. They have to accept Christ's death and resurrection by faith, repent, confess their sin to Jesus, say, Jesus, I, I know that I need you. I know that I have sin in my life. I want to confess my sin to you, and I want to turn to the cross, turn from my sin, and turn to you and be saved. Help me, Jesus. I need you to save me. And then you become a new creature, and then you become filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you have the power to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Not before. The ramifications for that are endless. One, quit making unbelievers feel bad for acting lost. They're lost. They can't help but sin. They're dead. You don't go yelling at corpses in the cemetery. That would be dumb. We're like, hey, dead guy, blah, blah, blah. Why are you acting like that? I wish you know our culture is so bad. Why? Wow, what? Lost people act lost. Right? We shouldn't actually be surprised that a nation is invading another nation. First off, not the first time it's ever happened. Uh, it won't be the last time it'll ever happen. Matter of fact, in the end of the book, nations invade nations. Big ones. Lots and lots of people. But it also means that through Christ, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. Do you believe that? I'm going to turn. I'm going to read it from the book so that you don't think I'm just making stuff up. This is also Peter. Don't you love that Peter, I mean, Peter messed up. Peter denied Jesus to his face. Like, I've, den I've denied Jesus, right? I did not actually walk around with Jesus for three years, sit with him. I'm not the rock upon which the church is built. And then when someone says, don't you know Jesus? To look at Jesus and say, I don't know him three times. Right after Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then he does it failure. 
right? I mean, cataclysmic failure. And yet, Peter, he writes this. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power, not yours, not mine, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that? Because without faith, without belief, it's impossible to please God. He's given you everything that you need. The only question that remains for the believer is, will you submit to him and walk in it? Now, I say that, and then you're like, okay, well, I've got to submit to Jesus and everything will be fine. Well, I didn't say that. I said if you can submit to Jesus, then you can walk in a way that pleases him. And otherwise you can't. Most of the problems that we experience in our walk with the Lord is because we're not actually walking with the Lord. We're walking over here. We're taking our own path through the weeds. And Jesus is like, yo, I got a path. We're here. I already made it. It's narrow. It's straight. I'm on it. Walk with me. We yoke ourselves to him. He doesn't walk over to me and is like, you got a good yoke going on there, Brandon. I'm going to join you. Uh-uh. He has the yoke. He brings me over to him, and he's like, yoke with me. I set the rules. I set the pace. Now walk with me. That's submission. It's an attitude of the heart. I don't know how to quantify. There's been like bazillions of books written on it. Just you submit your heart to Jesus. And you know if you're not, or you know if you're dead, and if you don't get all wrapped up around the axle, just submit your heart to Jesus. And then walk through Jesus, therefore, and offer him a sacrifice of praise. So let's look at these three things real quick. Praise and uh, doing good and sharing. What are the challenges to doing those things in our world today? What are the challenges to praising Jesus? One of them is that we live in a really bad place. Now, we've managed to construct some really good things. We've managed to build some systems in which uh, more justice has been meted out in the past, like, 100 years, then, like, all the years added up before it, right? We have court systems, all these things to try to do some kind of earthly justice to take care of people. We live in a broken world. It's still broken. Even in our best efforts, man can never redeem this world, ever. Only Jesus can redeem this world. So that is a challenge that we have when it comes to offering a sacrifice of praise because we're focused on all the bad things. I mean... I'm going to be honest with you, it's way easier to praise the Lord if you turn the news off. Just turn it off. Like, it's hard for me. I love knowing what's going on. Love it. Because, I don't know, then I have power. I don't know why I like the news so bad. It's like an addiction. But I, I, I should just, I feel so free when I literally turn it off. I don't actually have it on the screen. I have it, like, read it on my computer. But just go newsless for a day or two. It's okay. And then when your heart is in the right place, go back and then pray through the news. We're going to get to that in just a second. But one of the challenges is the fact that we live in such a broken world and we're overwhelmed by it. And it 
causes us to focus on the negative broken things instead of what? What Christ has done for us. This is this whole book of Hebrews. It's this, this whole book is what God has done for us out of his goodness and his kindness and his love for us. We have fallen into sin, and yet this is the story of his redemption of his beloved creation. He loves you, and he wants to redeem you and then live out his redemptive life through you, right? This is the same guy, Ian Thomas, said that the gospel is that Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that he could give his life to you, so that he could live his life through you. That's the gospel. Gave his life for you, right? That's the propitiatory sacrifice of our sins so that he could give his life to you. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that he could live his life through you. That's walking with Christ. So put aside the things that are keeping you from praising the Lord or the things that are distracting or the things that are causing your mind space, head space, to be all wrapped up around all the negatives in the world about who's against what and who's about this and, and what this celebrity did to that and what song came out and who won this and who did that and blah, 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 blah. Just shut it off. Get away. Get some silence. Get some quiet. Get some solitude. Solitude, you know what that means? It means being alone and quiet for a space of time. It's possible. Humans have been doing it for a long time. That may mean that you go rent a hotel room somewhere. That may mean that you go away for a day. I know if you've got little kids, trust me, super struggle. I get it. Find solitude and silence before the Lord. Make it a regular discipline in your life, and you will realize that your capacity to praise the Lord goes way through the roof. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that soon. So next thing is doing good. Notice this says, do not forget to do good. Isn't that interesting? Or do not neglect. It's like this sort of double negative, like do not neglect. You should just say do good, right? But that's not what they say. It says don't neglect to do good. That means that we have to realize that there is good to be done in the world and that we are the ones who are supposed to be doing it. It is Christ's life through me that me walking uh, yoked to Christ and surrendered obedience to him have a lot of good to do in this world. Simply, when was the last time you woke up and got on your knees and said, Lord Jesus, you've made me, you've redeemed me, you've filled me with your spirit to do good work on this planet earth. What good do you have for me to do today? Show it to me and then empower me to do it. And then get up and put your socks on and like brush your teeth and go about your day. Do you think that God who created you and tells you to do these things will not show you the good he wants you to do? And then when you see the good to do it, do it. It's not that complicated. Ask the Lord to show you what good he wants you to do. And when he shows it to you, do it. That's really it. The problems we run into and the challenges is that we have no margin in our life to do good. We wake up, we're running, got plans. We're doing, we're on the things, we're on the phones, we're clicking, we're moving, we're running, we're putting gas in things, we're driving in cars, we're going to, choo, choo, choo. I have no margin. You know, margin is on a page, right? Like I have this, I have these uh, notes, right? So there's, there's a margin around the edge of it. What is that? What purpose does the margin serve? It gives order. It gives clarity. It gives space so that this stuff can make sense. If I took all these words and just slapped them on the page in random order, no one would be able to understand what it means. Every book has a page structured with margin. Every life has to have margin too. That means you're going to have to say no to something to say yes to doing good. I don't know what that is. Ask Jesus. He will show you. Final thing is, uh, where are we? Oh, sharing. I'll just lump that in. Sharing, doing good. I'm going to tie those two things together. Nice little bow around them. Ask the Lord what he wants you to share and then do it. 
Finally, I want to look at this last part, which is praying. So uh, there's a mysterious uh, cardstock underneath the ends of the chairs. There's like a row bosses. I don't know what to call those. You're, these are columns and rows. I don't know how it goes. If you're on the inside row here, there's some of these cardstock on the bottom. This is not magic. I'm going to show you something that I've used to help me pray for a long time because I'm totally scatterbrained and I have a very hard time doing something on a regular basis. Just a confession time. This is cardstock. It's not magic. It has no magical properties whatsoever. There's uh, nothing hidden in it. What we're going to do is I want you to make this something that looks like this. Okay, you don't have to do this, by the way. Uh, don't be like, oh, he's saying it, so I've got to obey my leaders. Don't do that. I just mean, does anyone in here, don't raise your hand. Does anyone in here ever struggle to pray regularly, to have a regular, passionate prayer life? I do. I struggle mightily to have a regular, passionate prayer life where I'm like praying for things. I'm interceding, where I'm talking to the Lord, where I'm praying for my kids, praying for all these things. Yes, I'm like praying throughout the day, but I'm like this dedicated prayer time. I struggle. This thing helps me to not struggle a little bit. So here's what it looks like. You have a sheet right, like this, right? And so you're going to take this right here, and I don't have a pen on me. If you take your sheet and about an inch off the top, you draw a line on one side, shunk, and you draw a line on the other, shunk. Yeah, toss me a pen, and I'll give a demonstration here. By the way, uh, for all you perfectionists out there, this doesn't have to be perfect. You just draw a line. Okay, draw a line. It can be an ugly line. It's okay. Or you can take it home with you, and I'll show you how to do it, and then you can do it at home with a ruler. All right? But don't, if you leave here without doing it, you're probably not going to do it. So you draw two lines like this, right? One on the top, one on the bottom. Boop. Mag magic line. It's not magic, by the way, just, just paper. So draw a line, and that's going to separate the days from the prayers. Then you fold it in half. Um, I don't know if that's hot dog or hamburger style. I can't remember. But hamburger, thanks. Fold it in half once. Fold it in half once. And then you may have to, like, use your fingernails because it's pretty thick. So feel free to, like, lay it on somebody's back and do it. It's okay. Um, I'm just kidding. Don't do that unless you ask them. And then you fold it in half again the same way, right? So that it ends up looking like this. Be a quarter of a sheet, right? So then you've got this little thing right here. And if you open it up, you've got eight little columns. Ooh. Ooh, what are we going to do with eight columns? Well, on one day, you're going to write every day. Every day. Every day. Those are the things you want to pray for every day. What are those things going to be? I don't know. Uh, what do you want to pray for today? I'm going to pray for Jenny's walk with Jesus. I'm going to pray for my kids' walk with Jesus. I'm going to pray for my mom. I'm going to pray for my brother. I'm going to pray for immediate family. Okay. Every day I want to pray for, oh, you could write, what good do you want me to do today? You could ask the Lord for that every day, real quick. So that every day you get this and you pray for those couple things. Maybe you wake up, maybe you're drinking coffee, maybe you put it in your Bible. I don't know where you're going to put it. You pray for those things. Then you open it up, and however you want to do it, you write out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, well, it's hard to do this, not on a desk, by the way. It's okay, it's okay. Thursday, not perfect. Friday, and then Saturday, and then Sunday. Okay. I abbreviate it, by the way. I put fry for Friday with a dot. That means it's Friday. And I have my scribbles. And so then you write down, okay, so every day I'm going to pray for uh, this thingy. And I'm going to pray for these things, and maybe pick five things to pray for. Four or five. Pam showed this really cool prayer thing with us, but I forgot what it was. Sorry, Pam. Are you in here? 
So yeah, so like you held your, held your hand up and you, your thumb is like what? Closest people to you? Okay, and your pointer finger is your teachers or things like that? Okay, and your middle finger is like your enemies because you're giving them, no, no, no. Oh, oh, that's sorry. Okay, what's that? Leaders, okay, because that's the tallest finger. Gotcha, There's t- above the thing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And the ring finger is the weakest, so like the vulnerable in the world. And then your pinky is you. Okay, because I'm, gotcha, perfect. That's a great way to pray, right? Um, and you can go through the day and you can be like, okay, pray for the people closest to me. Pray for leaders, or pray for teachers and people in the church. Pray for leaders in the world. Pray for the weak and the vulnerable and pray for myself. That's great, yay, pray. So, you can write five things down. You can write those five things down every day. And then on Monday, maybe you pick, you know, one person in your life group. And then on Tuesday, you pray for another couple in your life group. And then on Wednesday, you pray for, maybe you write down someone in your life group. Then on uh, Monday, you also pray for, maybe you pick three neighbors. And you write down, I'm going to pray for this neighbor, that neighbor, and this neighbor. And then I'm going to pray for, and then as needs come up, you write those down. Like, it's not that complicated. It looks like this, and, and sometimes you fill these things up, or I'll lose one, and I, or it gets whatever, and you rewrite it, and this one has coffee stains on it because I spilled coffee on it, and I think maybe somebody chewed on it. I don't know what's wrong with it. But you write down things, and then you pray for those things. This is not a magic tool. It is simply a way to help us get some kind of system to help us to do what the Bible says, which is pray for us. Who's the us? It's us. It's not you. Pray for them. Pray for people. Also pray for you, but do it. It's not complicated. You can stick it in a Bible. You can stick it on your bedside table. I don't care if you pray in the morning when you wake up. I don't care if you pray in the middle of the day. I don't care if you pray when you're going to bed at night. I don't care if you pray all five times, seven times, 12 times a day. It doesn't matter. Pray. Figure out what time works and then use, make some kind of tool to help you do it. It's not complicated. You can stick it in your back pocket for all I care. It's just a piece of paper. You can make another one. It's not the end of the world if you lose it. Don't make it kind of some kind of magic thing. It's just a thing to help you remember what to pray for. And then sometimes you write for things like, like uh, oh, like I pray for someone who was sick and they died. So I scratched their name off. So I'm not praying for them anymore. I've got, yeah, that happens. So um, pray for uh, uh, three of my friends that I grew up with that are not believers. I've been praying for them for like 25 years and they're still not with Jesus. So they don't, and then I pray for, uh, pray for certain Certain things, pray for different people. And then I write down stuff that's going on. Okay, I know that person is having a hard time at work, so I'm going to make a little note. Or I scratch it out and add to it. Just use it. It's just a tool that can help us to pray. Okay, so there we are. Hebrews 15, excuse me, 13, 15 through 19. Jesus is everything. Engage the challenges that you have to praise to doing good and to sharing. And then for crying out loud, let's, let's pray. And now let's actually pray. Lord, we do love you so very, very much. And we thank you for your great grace with which you have lavished upon us. That we who, oh Lord, we who are the reason that you had to die can now praise your name because of what you've done that you are now our high priest. You intercede for us constantly and you will never stop. You never get tired. You never wear out. And that our only sacrifice to you is no longer some bull or some goat or some grain, but the only sacrifice that we have to you as a response to what you have done is to praise you, to say hallelujah, praise be to my God who redeemed me and saved me. That that is our sacrifice to you now is to respond to what you have done by praise. Lord, we don't have to earn those things. We don't have to earn our relationship to you. 
We don't have to live in a manner to please you so that you will be close to us. You call us to yourself. You indwelt us with your Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Lord, I can't get away from you. Help us understand and live out the nearness of our God by pressing into you, by praising your name, by depending upon you, by, by yoking ourselves to you as our shepherd and our guide and our God, that we would see the good that you have us to do in this life, that we would share the things that you have given us, our thoughts, our experiences, our time, our finances, our homes, and that we would be people who pray. Help us be a church, oh God, that prays, that prays for a nation under attack, that prays for those who are, the millions of people who are terrified, that prays for the, the, the soldiers who are following orders to shoot people. Help us to pray, Lord Jesus, to pray for the 16-year-old boy with an AK-47 pointing it at another person. We pray for them, Lord. I pray for the church in Ukraine. I pray that you would light them on fire and protect them, that you would be their strong tower, that those churches who are training their people, oh God, how to put on tourniquets, how to triage, how to treat bullet wounds, all the horrible things of war, that those would be cities on a hill, lights in the darkness, and that your gospel would go forth in the midst of war, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of death and chaos, that the light of the gospel would shine forth in Ukraine and that your name would be magnified. So help us, Lord Jesus, to respond right now by praising the name that saved us. Jesus, risen name we pray. Amen. Yahweh, thank you for these disciplines that you're reminding us of. We ask that you would continue to remind us that we would glorify you, Lord, that we would give you glory and laud and honor through the words that we say, through the deeds that we do, continue to empower and equip us, Lord. Oh, glory, Lord, and honor to thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. Thou art the King of Israel, thou David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comest the King and blessed one.
Well, that's what we were made to do, all right? So spend your week doing that, pray. Oh, and if you want to go to the new member class, you can head out these doors and go this way, and there will be some food back there for you and some merriment, and go in peace.